0: I did. I'd like to have a couple of Sundays to preach on the home, but the Lord just kept bringing and putting in my heart to come back and to stir us up about the end times. Folks, we're living in the last days, and you know, we go through our daily life, and most of us never even think about that. Most of us never. I mean, we look at all the stuff going on around us, and we never take time to realize, hey, this is just what the Bible says. It's going to be like this when Jesus gets ready to come back. So I'll try not to be long, I'll, uh, i was reminded about this preacher that's having trouble preaching a long time. So he's talking to his wife one Sunday at lunch and said, you know, what can I do? And she said, I'll tell you what you do. When you get up to preach, put a mint in your mouth. And when it's gone, then you ought to be through. <laughs> so he did that for three or four Sundays, and boy, I mean, it just bree- breezed right on through. And one Sunday morning, he just preached and preached and preached and preached. And after it's over with, and folks had got restless, and after church was over with, his wife said, Didn't you put a mint in your mouth? He said, Well, I thought I did, but I realized it ended up being a button. <laughs> <laughs> Open your Bible this morning to Matthew. The last time we preached, we preached about the world of the end, instead of the end of the world that we always, people talk about. And we use Matthew 24 then, and we use the first part of the chapter. And in Matthew 24 is what we've called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus had left the temple and had gone out across the way, across the Kidron Valley. Uh, I sound like I lived there, didn't I? Well, I just study a lot. And went to the Mount of Olives. And when he was set down, his disciples came to him and asked him three questions. And they asked him, said, what When will these things be? Because it told them the temple would be tore down, not one stone to be left on another, and then the temple and all around Jerusalem. What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And he took down through there and, and began to show them different things and signs. The part I want to come to this morning in Matthew 24 is found on over in verse 36. Verse 36 through 44 reads this way, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came, and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Father, we ask you now to bless your word, bless this time. Wake us up to these days that we're living in, Father, and help us to always be ready. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say it's a, a privilege to be here to, to preach to you this morning. But it's, it's also special to have, we've got some, some visitors, but have a good friend of mine and of our church, Don Stisher and Van Stisher, and Van has promised that one day we're going to get together and... And we're going to help each other sing a song. And, uh, so maybe that won't be too long off till we we'll get to do that. And, uh, and it'll be a good time to enjoy. It's good to see Gerald and good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. And, and uh, I want you to wake up. I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Jesus said here, be you ready. He first talks about Noah and helps us understand with the illustration of Noah that no man is going to know the day when Jesus comes back. And then at the end of this discourse, he says something about a thief. But he talks there about the hour. I know there's a lot of people that tries to pinpoint through certain situations and circumstances the time that Jesus is going to come. There's been a lot of of doomsday forecasters. That it's going to come at this day, at this time, and this. Now I'm going to tell you that today. I believe with all of my heart. I've been I've been preaching this August to be 54 years, and I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is indeed coming back. Now I don't believe that because I've been preaching 54 years, and I don't believe that because I was raised hearing that. I believe that because. Jesus Himself said in John, it's recorded in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. For in My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. I will come again. This is the words of Jesus Himself. I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then sometime later, a few days later, when Jesus ascended into heaven after being crucified and being in the tomb for three days and three nights and resurrected and spending some 30 days or so with those disciples, he ascended to heaven from that very same mountain that he's given this discourse from. And as he ascended up into heaven, two angels said to those disciples, said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? into the heavens, because this same Jesus that you see going away shall show so come again in like manner. Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 4, he said there's going to come a time when the trumpet shall sound and the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. I believe that Jesus is coming back because the Word of God teaches that Jesus is indeed going to come I believe that there's a series of events, and I hadn't got time to go into all this because it's like Mark said, there's a whole lot of stuff in here, and if I tried to get just a uh, more a little action, uh, you may be eating supper instead of lunch. <laughs> so, but what I'm saying is this, I believe Jesus that there's going to come a time, and this is what we're looking at today. I believe there's going to come a time when there's going to be a trumpet sound. And then the voice of the archangel is, is going to say, come up here. And it's, it's what we call in the church the rapture. Now, a lot of folks say, I, I don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture is not in the Bible. And you know what? You got me there. It's not. But I'm going to tell you something else that's not in the Bible that we all believe. And that's the Trinity you don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. And I, I had a fellow challenge me about the rapture one day, and he said, "He said, well, you don't find it in the Bible. I said, well, you don't find Trinity either. He said, but you find the teaching of it. And I said, likewise, the rapture. So it's there. It's taught that there's going to come a catching away, that there's going to come that day and time. And it's going to happen. And I've had people say, well, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, let me tell you, All the unbelief that you can pile into this earth is not going to hinder that day from coming. It's going to come. And I want you to understand that. I'm not telling you it's going to happen today. And I'm not asking you, are you ready in the sense that you want the rapture to take place today? But I'm asking you, are you ready in the sense that it may happen today? We don't know the day. We don't know the hour, but a lot of us have this thought: I don't know the day, or I don't know the hour, but I don't want it to be today. Well, I'm going to tell you, I want it to be whenever Jesus is ready for it to be, or when the Father is ready for it to be. According to the Scripture, Jesus don't know, but God Himself has it reserved on His eternal celestial calendar, the date and time, hour marked when He's going to say to Jesus, Son. Go get my children. And when he does, all the graves of Christian people now, and I'm talking about those that died believing in Jesus, not those that was... I shouldn't say that. I almost said something I shouldn't, Bradley. I almost said not just those that's killed by the police, because if you notice that everybody's killed by police is in heaven watching us. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't mean to be political, But isn't it the truth? Anyhow, all the Christians that died believing in Jesus, and if they didn't die believing in Jesus, they're not Christians, okay? That grave is going to burst open. They're going to come out of that grave. That volatile body is going to, that quick, assume a form like what we have, and it'll be a celestial body. And then I mean that quick. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead is going to rise, and then all of us that are alive, that are Christian people, are going to be transformed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye. On our way up, we're going to be transformed, taken out of here. We're going to go, folks. And and I've had people excuse, accuse me of being an escapist. Oh, you won't do, just escape this. I said, you nailed me quick. Yes, you did. I want to escape the tribulation period that's going to come. And people say, well, I just ignore all of that. Well, you can ignore it all you want to. But it does not change the fact that these events are going to happen at some point in time to come. So we need to be ready. Now, he gave us some some things that we can look at to see how things are in the world today. He said, to begin with, as it was in the days of Noah. Think about that. So also will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. At the days of Noah. What were they doing? They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now the scripture says, and they knew not. And I thought, now wait a minute God. We find in in Second in Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You mean to say he never said anything about it? No, during all that time he preached, but here the term knew not simply means they chose not to deal with it. Not that they didn't know, not that, I mean, it was, they saw the ship sitting there, and they saw it from the time that Noah started it and, and laid this thing out, and, and all of these things going on, and, and they no doubt came and asked, Noah, what are you doing? What's going on here? Now, I'm building an ark because there's going to come a flood. A flood, what's a flood? There's nothing like that. And people say, well, there's never been a time that folks has just been caught up. Well, yes, there has too. Enoch was caught up. In Genesis chapter 5, it said that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him, translated him that he should not see death. Folks, that's what's going to happen to us if we're alive when that time comes. Caught up with him. So, Noah, I believe, preached to the people... During all this time he was building the ark, every opportunity he got, Hey, there's a flood coming. You need to get ready. You need to prepare yourself. There's a flood coming. But people did just like they do today. They turned their deaf ear to it, and they chose not to know this thing's coming. Can I tell you this? You will not be able to stand in the presence of God and say, Well, God, I didn't know. You can't use that excuse. Especially this morning because now you know. You may choose to ignore it. You may choose to not deal with it. But you're not going to be able to come before God and say, Well, God, I just sort of let that go. I didn't really care about all of that anyway. And it may be that you're in a situation where that you'll hear Jesus say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. You say, Preach, you're getting a little bit hard this morning, aren't you? I, listen, I'm trying to help us understand These kind of words in the Bible and these messages are not to alarm us, but to inform us and help us understand that He is indeed coming and we need to be ready. Now, another thing about the day of Noah. In Genesis chapter 5, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know anybody that way? Well, they're all over society today, aren't they? Thoughts of their hearts. Only evil continually. That's what was going on in Noah's day. Now where it talks about they were marrying and giving in marriage and that kind of thing. It's talking about how that they that the men actually disregarded women. Because they were taking multiple wives, abusing them. And and they were just taking everybody they wanted and and according to ancient Hebrew history it was not uncommon for one of them to have 40 or 50 women. And, and the Hebrew, and that old ancient Hebrew refused to use the word wives, it used the word women instead. And because they were using them. Why? Because it's just like today, they wanted to separate in sex, reproduction, and pleasure. These are for reproduction, these are for pleasure. And, and that's the way they did in that day. What do we see in this world today? The very same thing, isn't it? People have multiple partners in life. Do you know one, one, the big lure to, of homosexuality, regardless of whether it's male or female? It's the chance to have sex without the responsibility of having children. Now you think about it. They're not going to have children. <laughs> It's not going to have I don't care what they do, a man that's still a man. He can never be anything else but a man. And regardless of what they try to do, he cannot have a baby in any form of natural sense whatsoever. Another thing that was big in Noah's day was, see, homosexuality was big in that day. Lesbianism was big in that day. They were also into the transgender and And all of that kind of thing. In the days of Noah, according to ancient Hebrew history. You say, well, the Bible don't say that. Well, that's true. You know, the Bible don't talk about the Civil War, but ancient American history talks about it. You know that, don't you? Abortion in Noah's day. And it was not abortion. They did not have abortion clinics. A lot of times, now now listen to me, this is graphic. A lot of times, if a woman got pregnant and the man didn't really like her, he'd just kill her. So the baby was going to die anyhow. They killed a lot of babies at birth. Women say, well, you know, I don't want this baby. They kill it. Throw it out on the garbage heap. What do we see going on in America today, around the world? I read a thing this week, and it's estimated that since Roe v. Wade came into being in the 60s, that worldwide... And all of these other nations are spin off of what America's doing. Worldwide, there has been over 300 billion babies aborted. Now you think about it. That's more people than it's in America, in Russia, in and, and, uh, South America and Canada and Africa. Think about that. That many. And then some idiot in uh, Alaska. Supposed to be a a representative in the state legislature. Said this week that abortion was good, and not only that, but if a child gets abused to the point it kills them, fine too, because then the system do not have to take care of them. Do you think we're living in a wonderful time? I'm glad that I'm alive today. I'm glad I live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of times the things I read and the things I see, I hang my head in shame that America has dipped so low. In Genesis 6:11 and 12, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. In Noah's day, According to ancient Hebrew history, there was, uh, the animals had become so fierce that people feared for their lives just to walk outside the perimeters of their cities. Just a few days ago in Alaska, there was a polar bear. Had never been a bear entered into this city, this little encampment there, the village, before. A polar bear came into that village and killed a woman and her son. Just in in Texas this week, two dogs attacked an 80 year old man and killed him and bit three other people. And mountain lions are killing people, and on and on. You know, and I'm not talking about Africa. I'm talking about here in the wild jungles of America. Paid was with asphalt and concrete. Last days in 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 Second Timothy. Y'all through with me yet? I just want us to wake up, folks. Wake up not to how bad things are because we all know that, but wake up to the fact that Jesus is coming back and that as we see these things, it ought to help us understand that it's closer than it's ever been and that we need to be prepared and be ready. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, Know this. In other words, he's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. You need to realize the day and the time we're living in. Here he says, in the last days, perilous times will come. That word last there... It comes from a Greek word, and it's only found one other time in the Bible, and one other place. This is in Second Timothy or First Timothy, chapter four, where it said the Spirit speaks expressly that in the last days, and it's not talking about a great long period of time. It's actually talking about the last of the last days. You know they got a doomsday clock. If y'all you, you heard about that lately? That sort of caught my attention here a while back when they was talking about the doomsday clock was only five seconds from midnight. Now that's how close that carnal-minded people say that the end of this thing is. Now I don't know about the five seconds before midnight, but what I'm saying is this, we're living in the last days. You know when the last days started? I believe the last days started on the, from the day of Pentecost to the time that uh, Israel uh, was scattered later on through from Titus in 70 A.D., that the last days span 2,000 years until we've come to the time that we're in now, the last of the last days. He said peerless times. Now that word peerless is only found one other time in the Scripture. And there what? It's translated fierce, fierce, fierce times will come. The place that it's found is in Matthew chapter 8. Now, we're not going to go there. But in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee and come into the country of the Gagasarines, I believe is the way you say it. And there were two men, demon-possessed, that met Him coming out of the tombs. And they were fierce. And that, that term, if you think about what they were doing, it means mean, violent, dangerous times, hard to deal with times. These men were so fierce that they'd try to chain them and they'd break the chains. They couldn't handle them, they couldn't unwi them. And they were constantly roaming in the cemetery and in the graveyards, and they were cutting themselves. And you know, that's a a fad among a lot of young people nowadays. Is You know, they get a little bit down, they cut themselves. And that's just as satanic as these guys were. It's just an emotional problem. Can I tell you something? Not being ugly to nobody and down on nothing. You know where emotional problems originated? From Satan. Now, that don't mean you have to put up with it. You deal with it like you have to. But don't ever sit around and think, well, boy, if God hadn't given me all these emotional problems. A lot of folks think, you know, I've heard women talk about their emotional problems started when they got married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one reason I was wanting to think about preaching on the home uh, and just uh, two weeks from tomorrow Men, Sister Carol be married 53 years. And I thought, how do you have a marriage that lasts 53 years? First of all, you have to go out and find you a wife like she is, if you're a man. And you women have to go out and find you a husband like me. See, now that settles the whole thing right there, doesn't it? You talk to her, she might not have a, the same feeling. I don't know how I got off on that, but let's get back to this. Fierce, dangerous, hard to deal with times we're living in right now. And he gives, he gives some 19 characteristics Paul does here this day. Maybe this is something like what's going on in Noah's day. I don't know. But he gives 19 characteristics, and we're going to take just a minute and just hit a little on all of these because I don't have time to go in depth to them. And I know the pastor hadn't limited me some, but he was sort of hinting to it when he introduced me. And I know. But anyway, the first thing he says here, that these that we come to a time now when, and the reason the perilous times are here, the fierce times, is because the number one thing, men will be lovers of themselves. So what we see is misdirected love. Now, I'm not, now here I'm talking about a, a natural love. I'm not talking about, uh, calling sex love, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. But what I'm talking about is people that are hung up on their self completely. To where that, that, it, that they, they're first in everything that they think about doing. And so, uh, that we have, he said that there is men will be lovers of their own self. I want it for me, for me, for me, for me, for me. Many a family has been ruined because of this me attitude, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Then he said that there's misdirected use of money because they will be lovers of money. What, I've never seen a society that's so hung up on getting more and more and more and more. And you think, well, hadn't you been to the store, you know that inflation's going on. Well, sure. You know what causes inflation like it is? Love of money. Love of money. And do you know, you you, you want to get down about eggs being so high and want to be on the president about the cost of eggs being so much? That's not where it needs to come to. And it definitely don't need to come back to that poor old chicken and the farmer. There's those people in between that's the love of money. Gasoline's the love of money. Everything. It has to do with the love of money. And, and Paul told Timothy later on, he said, it is the love of money that is the root to all evil. And I want to ask you something. How much do you love money? Well, it's my money. I can do it like I want to. It's my money. My money. A lot of people feel that way about giving to the church. Can I ask you this? Well, maybe I ought not to, but I guess I will anyway. Alright? When it comes to tithes and offerings, how much do you love your money? Do you love it enough to say, well, I just don't know if I believe in all of that or not. Uh, I'm not going to give. they got plenty. What do I need to give? I need this. Do you know, I, I was heard someone say the other day, said it's strange how that somebody will stand in line at Starbucks to get one of their... Bookie-dookie coffees. <laughs> pay 7 or $8 for it, and while they're standing in line, fuss about the price of eggs at $3. Well, it's the truth. You know, we're going to, we're going to satisfy our own self. It don't matter no how high the price of gas gets, we're going to take the money we need to, if I take it from somewhere else, to go anywhere we want to, anytime we want to go. That's been proved. Do you know, if you had a drove on the interstate when the gas was over $4 a gallon, you would not miss a car out there. People's going to go. People's going to eat. They talk about prices being so high in restaurants. We went to a restaurant the other day up in Florence and had to wait 35 minutes to get in, and and, and there they were high. (laughs) Love of money. Love of money. Folks, we need to understand that, that the love of money is driving a lot of evil in this earth today. Do you know what one of the most lucrative businesses is in the world, especially in America? Now, you get a hold of this. It comes down to love of money, but it's the pornography industry. Billions of dollars. Billions is, is made off of that every year. Then he said, he said there would be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and then boasters. Now, here are the boasters. It's all about me. It's what I've done. It's what I can do. It's all about myself. It's about me, 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 or my, my, my. This is it. I can do it. I was at a place the other day, a place of business, Rita and I was, and there was a guy, and come to find out he was from Mississippi. Not everybody's Mississippi is this way, but this guy was. And boy, he was talking about I mean, at the front of the line, he wasn't quiet about it. He was talking about as loud as I am now, talking about all he had done and all the fish he had caught and all the deer he had killed and all the frogs he had stabbed and on and on and on. He was going and, and just telling them how to do it, with what kind of gun they needed to use and all of that. And whenever I got up to the cash register, I, I said to the fellow, I said, have you learned anything today? <laughs> Boasting, what I, what I, what I, what I can do. And then he said blasphemers. That, you know, you say, well, boy, there's a, there's a lot of folks that talk ugly. There is. Blasphemers, and here it means to slander, to accuse, to speak against, or to speak derogatory words for the purpose of injuring or harming another's reputation. I thought blaspheming was only against God. No, speaking against God is blasphemy. And when you use the G.D. word, you're speaking against God because God's not the dammer, He's the blesser. You say, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you said some of the stuff you say either. I remember an old preacher over in Mississippi, old brother Holder, when I was just a kid preacher. I'd hear him say several times, if you still cuss, it's because you got cuss in you. You need to get the cuss out of you, and then you won't cuss no more. (laughs) <laughs> it's debasing, derogatory, insulting, nasty, shameful, ugly speech or behavior that is intended to humiliate someone it's profane, foul, unclean language I, I'm, I'm going to tell you I'm appalled I, I will not listen to congressional proceedings because they get in there and it's some of the awfulest language you've ever heard and and people just get mad and rail and and folks it seems like there's a license in our society today to talk ugly as somebody wants to talk blaspheming and it just get it's getting worse and worse and worse you know they're not even bleeping stuff out on tv anymore i was shocked by that the other day i mean you know i know little three letter words and four letter words has been around for a while but and it didn't take me but a second to turn off of it. I don't even know that I let the guy finish what he was saying. Because I'm sure when he got through saying all that long line of deleted, he didn't say, Oh, excuse me. You can't even go to a restaurant without it. A lot of times, you sit at the restaurant and you hear it from other tables. This kind of atmosphere going on. And, and, and I mean, they're dropping the F-bomb and GD and MF and all of these things all around. I don't care who hears it. There was a time that a man would rise up and punch somebody in the nose for using that kind of language in front of his wife and children. Of course, you can't do it now. You'll end up getting arrested and spending ten years in jail. Disobedient to parents. That means disrespecting of authority. We don't teach our children to respect authority anymore. Why? Because so many of us don't respect authority anymore. Do you know why that one reason that the police end up in high-speed chases and people end up dead, sometimes the person they're after ends up shot, do you know why? It's because that somebody... Mm, help me say it nice. Somebody will not respect the authority of that policeman. You know how to escape police brutality. In ninety nine point ninety nine percent of the cases, you can escape police brutality by saying yes sir, no sir. How can I help you? Here's my license. Here's my ID card. Here's all of these things. And whatever you want me to do, I want you to get out of the car and get on the ground. Get out of the car and get on the ground. Don't fight back. Respect authority. They don't do it in school. They don't, and kids nowadays, they don't respect other adults. Why? Because their parents don't make them respect them a lot of times. There used to be a time when respect was okay. Yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir, was wonderful things for children to say. I know at my house it was something good to say to keep from getting slapped in the face. You say, you mother slapped you in the face more than once. But I found out how to keep her from slapping me in the face. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. They don't do it with a teacher. Yeah. No. Yep. And they do that with other people. Call adults by their first names. We were not allowed to do that whenever I was a kid growing up. It was Uncle... Uncle Hayes or Aunt Rassie, or it was Mister Phillips that lived down the road. It wasn't Lonnie. Y'all know Lonnie lived. No, it was Mister Phillips lived down the road. Folks, we're not taught that anymore. And and it comes to the point to where we have produced in America a generation of children that are that are unpersuadable, they're uncontrollable, they're inconvincible, and unable to be led. And it stems out of the home, it goes into the school, and they can't discipline there like they need to, and and because of that, or they want discipline there, and in some schools, instead of discipline, they want to teach them they can be a girl if they're a boy. God help us never let that happen in Alabama. Morgan County, thoughtful. You can't be a girl if you're a boy, and you can't be a boy if you're a girl. Okay, I'm back on that again. My teams will tell you I talk about that a lot, Donnie Cole. (laughs) <laughs> do I do it too much? Just enough. Okay. Unthankful. We're we live in an unthankful society. People don't appreciate what anybody does for them. They, you owe it to me. I'm entitled to that. We have an entitled society. Do you know that there are cities in the state of Washington that a husband and wife with two children that don't work or won't work, they get housing, they get food stamps or food allotments, they get their medical taken care of, they get all of these things taken care of, and they can realize an income of $94,000 a year. Folks, I've worked weeks that were 80 hours long, and I've never made that kind of money a year. And that makes me mad that they're able to do that, not because of what I've had to do to have money, but it makes me mad because they're sitting up there drawing off of you and me when they need to be out working. And I'm firmly convinced Paul told the Thessalonian people, said, if you don't work, you don't eat. And if people can't work, that's different. There's too many of them that can and won't. Is the reason those that can't, can't get the help that they need. Entitled society, unholy. That means that they're being irreverent, losing all fear of God, to be ill-mannered, impure, lewd, indecent, crude, coarse, bugger, offensive, and rude. I don't know how many of y'all watch the Super Bowl or the halftime show. You don't have to raise your hand. I didn't watch any of it. There you go. And you know, I've read, I've read some things this week where that a lot of people, and I'm talking about big, important people across America, is on the FCC for allowing that woman to put on the halftime show that she did because it was so vulgar. Unholy. Pat, Pat was talking about they had just come back from down at Key West, Florida. And there where they stayed uh on that little part that where they were staying right there, right down from them was a uh a house of ill repute. That's not the way he said it <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get back to that later. But anyway, he he said that, and they wasn't hiding it, because they walked down the street, and there they were right out on the sidewalk promoting what was going on. Unholy. Just I'm talking about people that do not have any standard of decency about them whatsoever. And, and ladies, don't get upset with me because of what I'm fixing to say, because I feel the same way about men. I think it's just as wrong for a man to go around without his shirt as it is for a woman to go around without her top. Now, you can look at me strange if you want to, but bare skin's bare skin, and nakedness is nakedness. Now, you do whatever you want to with that. But I'm almost dreading seeing warm weather come, because no more than we have. I was at Walmart the other day, and there were some people in there that weren't even half-dressed. I said, Lord, what's it going to be like when summertime gets here? Unholy, you say? Well, Pastor, I dress like I want to. You certainly can, and that's fine with me. But please do it at your house and not out in public. And if you do, if you do, just be sure that they don't know you go to church at Victor Fellowship. (laughs) But here's one problem that we have is that folks, listen, folks don't only do these things; they promote these things and they encourage other people to do them. Romans one thirty-two. You haven't got this one, Cole, so don't worry about it. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's where pornography comes in and gets to be such a big business. Soft porn, hard porn, makes no difference what it is. It's all unholy, ungodly, impure. And it's not something that people need to be engaged in. Do you know, I was shocked the other day. I was just scrolling on my telephone on Facebook, and all of a sudden here was this ad, and I thought, wait a minute, i got somebody else's telephone. (laughs) But no, it was mine, and it's junk that's on there. Well, let's go on. Verse 3 talks about in this day and time, people will be unloving. Unloving and unforgiving. That means they will without natural affection. Parents that won't have the proper affection for their children. And we see that. I read a report just a few days ago where this man and woman had been arrested because they had chained their two children, their own two children in the basement and they had been in there for a long period of time to where they were just bleached white because it had not been around any son and that they were just bones. I'm talking about just sick bones. So they had... That kind of a problem. And unnatural. Unnatural. And that's happened in so many situations, folks. A, a woman and her partner, another woman, was arrested because they had physically and sexually abused one of the women's own son without natural affection. Let me tell you something, parents, love your children. Love them ever change you get whip their butts when they need it, but love them. Unforgiving. People don't want to be. They don't want to forgive. You say, well, I've had things that happen to me in my life I can't forgive. I want to ask you this: You ever been hung on a cross? Nails drove in your hand. Your side split open. Have you ever done that? Well, then you can forgive. Because in all of that agony, after being beat to where his back was reduced to what would look like hamburger meat, and a crown of thorns sticking into his skull, and blood splattered everywhere, in the midst of all of that, Jesus looked up and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You not being willing to forgive somebody is like you eating rat poison, hope they die. I guess I've got past y'all, hadn't I? I'm not trying to be mean. is, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just trying to be real, okay? <laughs> Without self-control. Boy, I mean, we live, not only do we live in an entitled society, but we live in a society of excesses. You talk about, it used to be the Smiths and the Joneses. Y'all know what I'm talking about there? I mean, the Smiths wanted it because the Joneses had it. And then the Joneses had it, wanted it because the Smiths had it. And we get that way, don't we? We, there's, sometimes there's nothing holds us back, not even not having the money, because buy now, pay later is good, but you know that later is usually within 30 days. And if there's much involved in the buying, it's the next 30, the next 30, the next 30, the next 30. And they come in here and you get this thing from your bank. It says if you use this check before such such a date to make a major purchase or whatever, you won't have to pay no interest till next year. But let me tell you something. You know what happens between now and the time interest is added on next year? Payment, 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 payment. They don't say, you can go ahead and buy what you want. You don't have to make any payment. If they do that, I'm, I'm signing that check. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. But excess, incontent. And, you know, I, I used to didn't realize exactly what this meant. And it really comes down to the point of people that can't help themselves. They just got it. They just can't help themselves because this is the way that they are. They can't have, they don't have the ability to stop eating. Right. They eat, eat, eat all they can every time they sit down to eat. They can't stop spending. You, have you ever known anybody that was addicted to spending? Have you ever been addicted to spending? Again, you don't have to raise your hand. Unable to stop drinking. And these people that can't. They started drinking when they are young, and they're drinking right on. They don't have no ability to stop drinking. But people can stop eating so much. I know. Do you know what? Today I'm 55 pounds lighter than I was this time last year. And there's others in here that are lighter. Gabby's lost a lot of weight. Uh, Tracy's lost a lot of weight. Jenny's lost a lot of weight. Who else? Anyhow, you you don't you can change those things. You can change the thing about spending. I heard a fellow say one time, said don't don't throw your credit card away, but take it and put it in a a jar, fill it with water and put it in the freezer. Said, first of all, then you'll have frozen assets. And he said the next time it says something you just gotta have, you go and take that out and by the time that gets thought out to where you can get your credit card out of it, you're probably done backed out of wanting to have it. See, we can stop these things if we want to. We can stop drinking. Pee-wee, he's a good example of that. Isn't that right, Pee-wee? I I knew him years ago and he wasn't an example of it then. But he is now looking church every Sunday. Clean. And that happens with so many people. People can stop. Them. But there's so many folks that can't. I had a brother-in-law that could not stop drink. He just could not stop. He went to different places and was in several times and could not stop drinking. And this is without self-control. People, there's Some people can't restrain their emotions. They're mad about everything just all of a sudden. Addictive behavior is a different kind. And I never really understood this until... Uh, My mother got older, and she started having to wear those pull-ups that adults have to wear. I hadn't got there yet. But she had to start wearing those because she couldn't help herself. You know what I'm saying. She couldn't help herself. It just came. And there's a lot of people that way. And, folks, I'm going to tell you this morning, if you have excesses in your life that are pulling you down, that's causing you problems and problems in your family, today's a good day to get rid of all of that. Brutal. That means they're cruel, fierce, harsh, savage, uncivilized, vicious, and violent. That's a lot. Used to be you'd hear about a murder in Decatur or Huntsville. Time or two a month. Now there's two or three a day. People are brutal, cruel. You may have read this about the two women that got into an argument and Fuss out in the parking lot of a Walmart in Indiana, I believe it was. Virginia it was. And in their fussing, one girl spit on the other one. She went to her car and got a gun and come back and shot her three times right in front of her children and killed her. Brutal. Then there's those who despise good. Not just good people, but they despise good laws, good morals. And it seems like a lot of the laws that we have today to protect the criminal more than it is to protect the innocent. Then verse 4 talks about traitors. And that's talking about a lack of commitment to a relationship. Friendships are not what they used to be. Too many fair-weather friendships nowadays. I, I, You know, I'll be your friend as long as everything's going okay. But when things quit going okay, I won't be your friend no more. You won't see them. They quit coming around, quit calling, quit having anything to do with you. I don't even want to talk to you, be around you. Why? Because they've broken off that friendship. They've lost their commitment. And in marriages, it's the same way. People, let me tell you something. One reason that Sister Carol and myself have been married nearly 53 years, and I believe Brother and Sister Hughes can say the same thing, is because that when we got married, we decided that was it and we wasn't going to stop. Like one fellow said, we may have thought about murder a time or two, but never about divorce. And I can honestly say this: that in nearly 53 years of marriage, we've had one bad argument that went on the whole deal for about an hour. And we made some decisions that day, and we've lived by them ever since. So what I'm saying is this: there got to be commitments. Commit people don't have commitments to church; they'll just float to this one, that one. Here they'll go here for a while. If they don't like it, they go somewhere else for a while, and somewhere else for a while, somewhere else for a while. People don't want to get committed. That's the reason that a lot of times that you you see a young man that by the time he's twenty five done had thirteen jobs. No commitment in it. Then people head strong. That means they're hard to correct or teach. I'll do it my way. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, so I won't. You don't know what I shouldn't say. No, I will <laughs> Ask them after church. Their attitude is this, my way is better than your way, even to the point that my way is better than God's way. I'll do it my way. That's what Frank Sinatra said, wasn't it? Yeah. I'll do it my way. You know what happened to Frank Sinatra? He's dead and done going on to wherever Frank Sinatra's go to, and I don't know that's between him and God, but I'm going to tell you this, he didn't have it his way. Yeah. Neither can you. But people get that headstrong that I'm going to do it like I want to, and I don't care what anybody says. And that's going to be it. And you know one thing about headstrong people? They're quick to condemn other headstrong people. Haughty. Haughty. That means you are inflated with pride, or one who's puffed up and clouded by his own sense of self-importance. Let me tell you how important you are. You ready for this? If you were to leave this earth today, tomorrow, at your job, they may say, well, we're going to miss so so-and-so. Would you post that job for somebody else to take? That's how important you are. What's important is that we're right with God. My importance is found only in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's the only way. That's the only way it can be. Then lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I said, my Lord, God, I preach on that part right there for a long time. Lovers of pleasures. Pleasures. Things that people just feel like they got to have. People who make personal happiness their highest aspiration in life. Their personal happiness. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Hey folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe you'll find a happier person than me. I don't even have to be in out on the lake to be happy. I don't have to be in church to be happy. I don't. You mean you're happy all the time? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you every day of my life, every minute of my life, every month, every year, I am happy because the joy of the Lord lives in my heart. And I uh, feed the joy of the Lord and happiness as a result. Think about that. You want to be happy? Get the joy of the Lord in your life. How do I get the joy of the Lord in my life? By allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you up because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's right there. If your Holy Spirit lives in you, joy is resident there. And you need to learn how to let that joy come up and flow out of your life. My goodness. Here's the thing about it. It's not saying that these people don't love God. It's just that God takes second place in their pleasure-seeking life. And can I tell you this? If God is second place in your life according to your thinking, according to God's thinking, God's not there at all. He wants to be Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. Having a form of godliness, verse 5, but denying its power. Many people's religion is just a form. They look good. everythings I mean, they know the part, know the words, say everything just right, do the right actions at the right time, and all of that, having a form of godliness. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, one of the churches, he said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Another one of the churches in the church of Laodicea, he said to them, he said, uh, you, you say you're rich and increased with much good. In other words, you got everything looking good. But he said you're miserable, wretched, and blind because all you have is a form. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you feel like that we may just have a form in our church? What about in your life? Are you just doing it because that's what it does? Or is your salvation and your religion that you hold on to, your faith, is it because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that the reason you're in church today? Either because you have that relationship or you're seeking that relationship? I know a lot of people It's that way. A lot of churches that are that way. And he said this, get away from them. From such, turn away and move on out. You go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. That last verse in that, he talks about these things. He says back up earlier, he said that when this time takes place, we don't know. Here's where it's going to be. There's going to be two men walking up a hill, one to be taken, the other left. Two grinding at the mill, one to be taken, and the other left. If the keeper of the house had known when the thief was coming, they'd have been prepared and would not allow the thief to break in. Be you ready. Be ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is coming. We see all of these signs, all of these things going on. It's just like you setting up a security system around your house. You see all of these signs, you see all of these things, but you don't know when the thief's coming. We see all these signs, we make preparation. You do all of that so that when the thief does come, you're prepared to take care of it and handle it. You know that you're right with God so that when Jesus does come, you're ready to go. And let me break it down to just one more thing, just a little bit. You've never known anybody that's been raptured, caught up off of this earth. But you know something you you have known? You have known people to die. We've all known those. Most of them wasn't planning on it. That day, that hour, but they died. And I know you're not planning on dying today. But the reality of it is you could. And if you're not prepared for death, you're not prepared for the rapture. And it's that real, it's that evident, it's coming. It could be today. It could be a hundred years. But my friend, I'm telling you for sure this morning, as sure as I'm standing here before you today, that time's coming. So be ready for such a time as you don't think. They're going to play a song, and there's a little video with it. This puts a stamp on this. Okay, hold on. We'll get... i want just put a stamp on this. That you can know and understand. the title of song is, I wish we'd all been ready. And while this song's playing, if you feel like there's something you need to do to be ready, then this altar's open. So let's stand together just now.